Managing secure access to cloud resources is getting more complex, and a misconfiguration can easily turn into a major breach. That's why there's Teleport. Teleport is the easiest, most secure way to access your cloud infrastructure. The open source Teleport Access Plane consolidates everything you need for secure access to your Windows and Linux servers, Kubernetes clusters, databases, and internal applications like AWS Management Console, Jenkins, GitLab, Grafana, and much more. Teleport's unique approach is not only more secure, it also improves developer productivity. Download Teleport today at goteleport.com slash cloudcast. That's goteleport.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. We move into February of 2022, and uh, you know, weather's starting to change a little bit. Sun's starting to stay up in the sky a little bit longer, at least uh, in certain parts of the world. And uh, hope everybody is doing well. Apologies uh, up front. I am uh, publishing this one a little bit later than usual on Sunday. It is a Sunday perspective show. Um, just you know, some things got in the way of being able to publish it uh, first thing in the morning. So apologies to anybody who typically listens to the show first thing. I know sometimes I've got some shows that. I really enjoy listening to it at a certain time of day, and uh, so I apologize for that. We will try and get back on schedule for next week. But with that, we're going to kind of get to a topic, well, I guess sort of the intersection of two topics um, that sort of crossed my path this past week or so, and I thought it was sort of interesting. I kind of wanted to dig into it. The first one was um, I gave it, well, a couple of things. Um, The Kubernetes documentary from the CNCF uh, came out this last week-ish or so. So I put uh, links to that in the show notes for those of you that are interested in history and kind of how we got to where we were. Um, You know, they do a very good job, lots of interviews with uh, a lot of people who were around at the uh, early stages of Kubernetes from the folks at Google to, you know, folks around the industry, CoreOS, Red Hat, uh, a lot of other Microsoft and and a lot of others. Um, So good, good two-part documentary documentary take you maybe 45 minutes to watch both of those. But I did a interview this week uh, with uh, um, an online platform called The Next Platform. And one of the questions they asked me was, um, you know, is how close are we to Kubernetes being complete? And it kind of got me thinking. And, you know, again, technology is weird and that we never really think things are, are complete, complete. Um, and then the other one that, that sort of got me thinking was there was an article, a uh, survey article that come out from O'Reilly. Um, and it was really looking at, you know, kind of the trends uh, that they've been seeing over the last year or so. Um, again, O'Reilly uh, being in the, the training business, online media business and so forth. And one of the things that jumped out at me was they were seeing a significant drop in people having interest in serverless. And the reason these two things, while they might seem slightly different and, uh, you know, not related, was, you know, on one hand, you know, and, and, you know, as somebody who lives in the Kubernetes sort of world as I do in my day job, um, you know, one of the questions that we've constantly sort of gotten bombarded with over the last, I don't know, four, five, six years was, you know, is is Kubernetes the next big thing or containers the next big thing, I guess, is really the question. And Kubernetes sort of was was an ancillary to that. Or should we just skip containers altogether? Uh, you know, if, if we were at VMs before, maybe we skip containers altogether and go right to serverless, right? So it was kind of this, you know, question of what's next, uh, essentially what it was. And what I thought was interesting was, you know, we always were getting these questions, you know, what's next? Is containers next after virtual machines since they've had virtual machines have been so dominant both on-premises in, in data centers and obviously in the public cloud and so forth. Um, so what was next? And so it was really interesting to me that, uh, you know, here we are in, in the beginning of 22, 
Uh, and people are sort of in parallel saying, well, not only am I curious if Kubernetes has sort of run its course in terms of being you know, somewhat feature complete, that was kind of the question, but it was sort of like, hey, has the momentum around Kubernetes sort of stopped? And but at the same time, you know, the thing that was supposed to be the next big thing, um, you know, at least from one very reputable sort of training source is saying, hey, we're just not seeing the interest in it. And so it kind of got me thinking, like, what's causing these two things? Is this, you know, an actual thing or is this just a media thing? And so I thought what might be sort of interesting to dig into is to explore sort of the intersection of those two things right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Cloud Zero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, CloudZero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, CloudZero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product-specific data views, and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost, CloudZero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform, connecting the dots between high-level trends and individual line items. Join companies like Drift, Rabbit7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com cloudcast to get started today. That's cloudzero.com cloudcast. Datadog is a SaaS cloud monitoring and security platform that enables full-stack observability for modern infrastructure and applications at any scale. Providing teams dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, infrastructure monitoring, UX monitoring, security monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform, plus 450-plus out-of-the-box integrations with technologies including cloud providers, databases, and web servers. Aggregate all your data into one platform for seamless correlation, enabling teams to troubleshoot and collaborate together in one place, preventing downtime and enhancing performance and reliability. Get started with a free 14-day trial by visiting datadog.com cloudcast. That's datadog.com cloudcast. And we're back. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, I want to kind of dig into this intersection of a couple of things that just, you know, they might be a random coincidence, completely random coincidence that they both sort of popped out at the same time. But this timing of both, you know, people uh, kind of exploring what's going on with Kubernetes, you know, how mature is it? Is it is it getting towards the end of its innovation cycle and so forth? But yet, you know, not that many people really kind of digging into uh, serverless. And again, uh, that's from a training perspective. And so the two of those things kind of got me thinking. And again, you know, one of the things that, that comes up when you um, – you know, are, are, are expected to sort of have some foresight into what's going on in the future of a technology. So like in my day job, a lot of people are asking me, you know, where's where's the future of certain things going in this cloud native space? Um, and obviously, one of the nice things that we get as a benefit of doing this podcast is we get to talk to so many really smart people, interact with them on Twitter and Slack and other places, and, and um, you know, obviously interview folks, is we do get, you know, uh, a broader perspective on, on what's going on. Different, you know, people who interact with companies using the technology, building the technology, exploring the technology. So we sort of get you know, some sort of future looks of what's going on. And it really kind of got me thinking, these two things got me thinking, you know, is there anything to, um, you know, this sort of, you know, are we are we in between cycles, right? Um, we always seem to be very fascinated with when will technology cycles start and when do technology cycles end? And, and obviously, I understand at a very high level, 
that there's a lot of people that are interested in that. Um, there are people who obviously are making technology bets uh, on the future, right? They are trying to figure out like which technology should we invest in or which technology um, should we stop investing as much in, you know, those types of those types of questions as a, you know, an end consumer of technology. Um, you've got people in financial markets who are trying to, you know, make uh, bets, if you will, buy and sell stock and, you know, all sorts of, you know, VC funding based on those things. Um, you know, and, and we have this real big fascination with um, not only the origin stories of new technology, right? Like what's coming next, but how do they get started? Who are the people behind it? We sort of uh, romanticize the the founders, the origin stories of these things, or, um, you know, like in this, these Kubernetes documentaries, sort of the origin story of, of how this project came out of Google and the people behind it and the, you know, the struggles they had and all that sort of stuff. And then for whatever reason, we also uh, kind of romanticize, well, not romanticize, but we, we publicize and we love to talk about and uh, you know, look back upon sort of the end of certain things, or what feels like sort of the death of certain things. And I, I mentioned that, and I'm I'm as guilty as anybody. We've done a number of shows that were, you know, kind of looking back, lessons learned. We did a number of those last year. We did lessons learned, looking at uh, you know, cloud foundry technologies and Docker technologies and, and OpenStack technologies. And you know, maybe at some point we'll do that with with Kubernetes as well. I don't know. Uh, maybe with serverless as well. But you know, we, we sort of have this fascination with the, with the origin stories of technology uh, and and sort of the, the end of it. And to a certain extent, I understand that. Um, there are people who are trying to figure out, well, you know, should I still be aligning the work I do in my career to these things or should I be looking at something next? And obviously there are, you know, pros and cons to being an expert at something that's in high demand, but also maybe, uh, you know, a few minutes uh, smarter or more knowledgeable for something that's brand new. Right, we're seeing you know all sorts of new things pop up. So you know, there's always a little bit of that that you're trying to figure out for your career. Should I be you know focused on being really deep in one or two subjects right now that are that are you know highly used, or should I sort of branch out and and focus on the next new thing? The next new thing. We're always seeing that. We're always seeing that with investors and so forth. Um, and it made me wonder, like, why do we have such disdain, I guess, if you will, or, or sort of lack of caring for what happens in between? Right in between, all we guess we sort of care about is like the scoreboard, who's winning, who's losing. But you know, like in the sense of in the you know in the sense of Kubernetes, for example, like when the question was asked to me, I thought it was it was a fair question. Um, they were trying to draw some comparisons to things like you know Linux and you know how long did it take for Linux to mature and you know are there going to be parallels between Linux and Kubernetes? But it also got me a little bit frustrated because um, you know if you ask most people that work in the Kubernetes community, you know while they're proud of how far the technology's come along and, and, you know, we're 20 plus number of releases in and all sorts of, you know, things have come out of it. You know, at the same time, some really fundamental things don't work very well, um, you know, or, you know, aren't great. So for example, you know, there are article after article written about, you know, why is the developer experience around Kubernetes so difficult? Why is it, you know, sometimes so difficult to adopt Kubernetes? Um, you know, maybe it's for developers, maybe it's for, for whatever kinds of applications. So, there are still a lot of things that people are very frustrated about with Kubernetes, right? And so the idea that, you know, we're at a stage, you know, Kubernetes is seven, maybe eight years old now, we're in eighth year or so, that it's done or it's complete, um, you know, can be a little bit frustrating for that. Now, I understand if you're in the media, it's, it's you know, you're, you're there to write, you know, life and death stories. Like we sort of like, we like three things. We like origin stories, we like death, and we like scoreboards. Um, and maybe that's just what we do in technology. The other part about it that was interesting, um, you know, and, and Kubernetes has 
has kept people's attention for a long time, right? Uh, one hand, it was the thing after virtualization, fine, right? Virtualization was a big deal, whether it was, you know, VMware's massive dominance in the data center or whether it was, you know, the fact that, um, you know, AWS, Azure, and Google were offering sort of virtual machines on demand up in the cloud. And, um, you know, so virtual machines, you know, were, were those core technologies and, and, you know, really well understood and so forth. And then containers came along and there was there was all the buzz of, you know, does does containers and hence Kubernetes, does that replace virtual machines? Oh, okay, well, that's a big transition, lots of new learnings. Maybe there's lots of new companies, winners and losers, scoreboards, all that sort of stuff. You know, so we're, we're fascinated by that. And then, you know, but, but again, you know, what happens in the middle? And Kubernetes was interesting to us because it had this romantic origin story, right? It came out of Google. Google was going to do something it would never done before. Then it became open source. There was foundations around it. For people didn't understand foundations. Um, and, 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 you know, there were, uh, you know, some winners and losers, right? And, and I don't mean losers in the sense of like, you know, bad people, but like, you know, there were a number of companies who got, got acquired, right? So CoreOS or um, uh, Heptio or, you know, even Red Hat got acquired by IBM because, you know, kind of Kubernetes was at the core of what they were doing or, you know, lots of others um, have been acquired uh, in the Kubernetes space over the years. So, you know, it's kept people's interest if you're really only interested in, uh, you know, kind of keeping score, um, you know, kind of betting from the side, if you will, those types of things, um, you know, and, it, and it's seen people move around and all those sort of things. Now, what's really kind of gotten me interested, though, uh, you know, that, that that piece by itself is is fine. But what's interesting is, you know, we tend to be fascinated with this idea that that one thing replaces the other, right? That somehow technology is binary. And I think one of the things that, you know, Aaron and I have said over and over again on this show and, uh, you know, for years and years is um, technology is not binary, right? It's very rare that, you know, one technology completely replaces something else, especially when we're talking about a technology that's more enterprise technology, right? In the consumer space, we see these hap- things happen all the time, right? Like BlackBerry literally just stopped making phones. Like a few days ago, they, they announced, hey, we're turning off all BlackBerry services. Now, you know, it's been, what, uh, 10 years or so, I think. I forget what the, the date of the iPhone was. I mean, the iPhone and smartphones have completely replaced you know, sort of BlackBerry as a you know non-smartphone, but okay, maybe that's a replacement, um, but maybe that's also you know just an evolution of technology, and you can look at it different ways. But in the enterprise, we don't tend to ever replace anything, and so what's weird to me is that you know we still have this culture that, that covers and follows and and keeps track of enterprise stuff that assumes things are are going to kind of go come and go, or you know one's going to replace another. And the, the serverless piece is really fascinating to me in that um, you know. Aaron and I covered serverless for a little while, uh, and we still do. We're still very interested in it because we think it's a we think it's sort of a powerful way of delivering technology, and it's the closest we've seen to anything in terms of sort of um, you know you pay for what you use, right? There are you know ways to buy on demand, pay as you go, but to pay for what you actually use at a very very granular level, serverless is is the closest representation of that in the cloud, right? And so from that perspective, that was always fascinating to us. It was always fascinating to us, the people who were building applications that were, you know, at, at its core, very serverless centric, whether that's, you know, originally sort of compute serverless or more and more we're seeing, you know, data, database services, data services that are serverless. So that part of us has always been sort of fascinating. Now, what's interesting to me is that it just, it hasn't um, sort of captured the landscape, captured the imagination uh, in, a, in as broad a way as you know, Kubernetes did or virtualization did before that or whatever. And I say that in the context of 
you know, so many people expected that serverless was going to be sort of a replacement for, for containers. People were going to skip containers and go right to serverless. And I think what it's sort of panned out to be, and, and you know, maybe this is just the way we should have thought about it, is, you know, serverless is an adjacency to, you know, how you're going to build applications. It's not necessarily a direct replacement uh, for those people that, that are really into serverless. Um, you know, and we, we've had a number of people on the show who are, you know, kind of all in on it. Uh, it can be really fascinating. But the flip side of it is, I don't think it's necessarily captured people's attention the same way, because if you look at it from a scoreboard watching perspective, it hasn't had any wars, if you will, right? Um, yes, we've seen, you know, Azure has functions and Google has like cloud run and some things like that. But, you know, Lambda has sort of defined what the serverless market looks like. And, and to a certain extent, you know, we've begun to see the cloud providers start to have, like I said, serverless uh, data functions so serverless database and so forth. But in terms of the thing that we, we distinctly think of as serverless, you know, it's essentially it's Lambda. And, you know, when I look at those Kubernetes documentaries, uh, you know, one of the documentaries is an origin story. The second documentary is essentially, you know, what were the wars that were fought or, you know, what appeared to be the wars that were fought over Kubernetes between vendors and between Google and Amazon and, you know, uh, whether there should be a foundation or not foundation. Serverless really didn't have any wars, right? I mean, we've we've seen some alternative technologies that are used. Knative has been out there, you know, from the CNCF and those things. But didn't really have wars, um, which people tend to like uh, for whatever reason, you know, in terms of kind of watching and measuring and and, and stack ranking. And um, we really haven't seen any major uh, startup acquisitions yet. Yes, there's been a few here and there. Um, you know, maybe our friends at Trigger Mesh will be the ones that are really the big uh, thing. But, you know, so it sort of hasn't had uh, that thing that we keep score against, that we measure, quote unquote, winners and losers, that we go, oh, well, you know, if that company gets acquired, then what's the next domino to fall, right? And we sort of see other parts of, of the ecosystem, things that have been funded by VCs happen. And so it's been really interesting to, you know, if I put those two things together, um, you know, Kubernetes has fascinated people because uh, it's sort of had all the things that that we, you know, we sort of fall in love with, I guess, as a technology industry, right? It, it uh, you know, it had the potential to be the next big thing, right, after virtualization. So it was sort of an infrastructure thing, but it also was kind of a weird thing because it, you know, it touched developers and DevOps and DevSecOps. And so, you know, it was sort of had next next thing potential. It had touches a lot of different uh, technology segments potential. You know, it had some uh, wars, if you will. Uh, it had winners and losers. Um, so it had some scoreboard watching. And what's weird is, you know, again, we're, we're, we're in this cycle of like it had an origin story, which was, you know, really romantic and well-known. And we've seen it grow. We've seen it measurement in the middle. And for some reason now we're chasing its end story when it doesn't really show any signs of sort of having an end, if you will. And then we contrast that to serverless. You know, serverless had an origin story. The origin story was, you know, kind of a short announcement at, at AWS reInvent about 2014. There was a lot of buzz. We had things like serverless conf, which, um, you know, the good folks at, at A-Cloud Guru used to do. It sort of faded away as we had some of the pandemic stuff, and it hasn't really re, you know, re-engaged, reinvigorated itself, unfortunately. Um, you know, and now we're beginning to see a little bit of, uh, you know, some, some downturn in terms of interest in the thing. So, you know, maybe not every technology that's supposed to be the big thing. Uh, you know, has sort of a, an origin story, an interesting middle with scorekeeping and wars and winners and losers. 
and an end story, maybe something like serverless uh, is really just going to be, you know, for a lot of people, a nice ancillary, um, you know, augmentation technology. Yes, if you're all in on it, that's great. I'm not downplaying it, but you know, maybe it's that's what it's going to be, um, and that's okay. <laughs> and maybe that's the whole point of this this whole sort of long ramble that I've gone on is it's okay that serverless is what it is. It's okay that you know Kubernetes, um, you know, still has so many things to do, and for some odd reason, people want to see if it has an end. Um, but it's a you know it's kind of a weird way that we we look at things in our industry. Um, you know, we we kind of have this template. We want it to fit the template. And then it doesn't always fit the template. And what's really weird to me is that in the middle, you know, we seem to be so okay with, yes, there's going to be learning curves and the learning curves are going to be strange sometimes. But more importantly, like we're really okay with technical debt. We're okay with not finishing projects. And I don't know if that's a great thing for our industry. Um, you know, I think uh, we've seen, you know, we've had these people, we've had different people on the show, like, you know, tons and tons of ways to try and make the developer experience in Kubernetes really great. And, you know, universally as an industry, I think we sort of go, eh, haven't really gotten there yet. Um, so, you know, but will that be the next sort of big story of Kubernetes? I don't know. I don't know. We seem to be okay with that just being technical debt and uh, it moves on. So um, it's interesting, you know, um, it, it's just those two things as I, as I put them together and I think about how they, they kind of got started in parallel um, you know, they were there for, for different reasons, um, you know, and they're kind of going in slightly different directions. And, and I think to a certain extent, like the industry thought one was going to follow the other, one was going to replace the other. And I don't think we've seen those dynamics play out and that's okay. Um, you know, I don't know what that necessarily means in terms of what is next after a serverless or a, or a containers Kubernetes, maybe there doesn't need to be anything next. Maybe there's just going to be you know, maybe the next thing is just new ways to actually build infrastructure now or, you know, build uh, applications now that, you know, the options of infrastructure have become more mature. Maybe they've become boring, right? Because we're talking about them at the end. We're not trying to learn as much about them. Maybe that's a good thing, right? Uh, maybe that is the, the logical conclusion that we're getting out of this. But uh, sort of an interesting, you know, just parallel of two things this week that got me thinking and, uh, you know, I sort of rambled a little bit here for last 15 minutes or so, but uh, always would love your feedback. Always interested in, uh, you know, how you all see the Kubernetes market, how you see the serverless market. Do you see them as complementary to one another? Do you see them as replacements to one another? Um, you know, I know the market has has tried to to sort of play those stories out. Um, different different vendors have opinions. Different uh, technology groups have opinions, and uh, so again, I think it's uh, it's just interesting to sort of watch things that maybe were were expected to be you know kind of sequential have turned out to be somewhat parallel, and uh, you know it's interesting to kind of see how they've evolved and and what the second order effects will be for both of those. So I'm gonna wrap up with that. Uh, hope everybody's doing well. Again, apologies for getting this one out late. Hopefully uh, you still get some time to to listen to it on Sunday or Monday morning on your walk. Maybe it'll be just a, a, an interesting refresh uh, to have it on Monday morning instead of instead of Sunday morning for you. So, anyways, hope everybody's doing well. Uh, thanks for listening as always. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for helping us grow the community. Uh, we're very, very thankful for all of you, for all the sponsors that help us make the show work. And with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks for giving us feedback. Thanks for giving us, um, you know, five-star ratings and all the ways that you do. I've, we've seen a big uptick in that. And so we're very, 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 very thankful and appreciative of that as well. So with that, we'll wrap it up. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 